Hey everybody, Theo Davis here, digital pastor at Restore. We're starting a brand new series of messages called Unfiltered. And we're specifically looking at the Sermon on the Mount where Jesus was super unfiltered and how he was teaching the people of Israel and his words echoing throughout history to us today, 2000 plus years later. And we're gonna be looking specifically at anger and outrage today. We'll dive in a lot deeper, but don't you, don't you think that our culture is a bit too much uh, of an outrage culture. I, I think of celebrity culture and how, you know, if someone says one thing, another celebrity starts mouthing off. I think of YouTube culture and those YouTube celebrities and how they mouth off at one another. I think of Twitter and just social media culture in general and how the smallest little comment can spiral us into outrage. And then we start rage tweeting and rage commenting on everything. American culture is full of outrage. And I honestly don't know where we get it from. Oh, but I do feel like there's this one other group of people that's really known for outrage, that's really known for stirring up the masses and, and trying to make people hate one another. Oh, crap. I should have written this down. I forget who they are right now. In fact, I think it's two groups of people. Two groups. Oh, no. Cut, 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 cut. Um... Man, who were those two groups of people? I, I don't remember. I feel like it's two groups of people who actually have to, have to work together and they're trying to run something, but they're failing miserably at it. Sure, I think there's some good people within the group, but for the most part, most of them are just about outrage and it really doesn't matter who's in power because nothing ever seems to change. And then we just keep whipping each other into more rage and more rage and more rage. Oh, what was that group of people? I don't remember. Oh, man. Man, ah. I'm sorry, guys. I just don't remember. Uh, anyway, if I do remember, I'll be sure to let you know. Um, but let's go ahead and keep jumping in to week one of our series, Unfiltered. I remember who it is now. Congress. <laughs> Congress are the ones that more often than not can't quite work together. You see, Jesus had a lot of transformational teachings all throughout his life, including teachings about anger and outrage. But we rarely hear about those because most of the society has a filter on Jesus. You see, in our American culture, uh, we have tended to sanitize Jesus to be suitable for the masses. He's been framed as a Jesus who doesn't want to inconvenience anybody. Uh, a Jesus who's only concerned with love. A Jesus whose quotes like, don't judge, are often taken out of context. Americans, and yes, even some American churches have stripped away any context that Jesus might, any, I'm sorry, any content that Jesus might say something controversial so that we can embrace a tame and docile Jesus. But here's the thing, Jesus was anything but tame. Uh, the Jesus of the Bible was loving, but he was also dangerous to the current status quo. I love what the author Mike Iaconelli, who unfortunately passed away several years back, he was a popular pastor um, he, he wrote this. He said, do you want to be like Jesus? The Jesus of the New Testament 
was, long, was a long way from dull, crying one minute and knocking over tables the next, showing courageous compassion to a fallen victim one day and cursing hypocrites the next, blasting Pharisees one day for having such a narrow view of adultery, and then on the next day for giving a woman caught in the act of it. But our culture, and yes, some of our churches, have settled for a safe Jesus that won't challenge our thinking, won't impact our morality. We've settled for a Jesus that feels like a spiritual add-on to our lives, something optional. We've, we've settled for a safe Jesus. But God is calling us to an unconventional life. He's calling us to stand out from the everyday culture wars. Jesus is inviting you and me into a new way of living, a way that is challenging at times, yes, but is significantly more fulfilling than anything the world has to offer us. So over the next several weeks, we wanna ground our faith journey in 2024 by leaning into the words of Jesus uh, found in a single sermon he gave to a crowd called the Sermon on the Mount. He shared some challenging truths that were intended to help each person live their life to the fullest. Today, we're going to focus on the topic of anger. Now, uh, at the top, I talked a lot about outrage and how we're in this outrage culture. But outrage often leads to anger. If enough people are outraged about something and it gets your attention, while you may not have initially even known or cared about a particular topic, suddenly, especially if you care or respect the people who are outraged, it starts to bubble up something inside of us. And we start to experience the same anger that they're trying to invoke on us. Now, here's the thing. You don't even need to be a Christian to understand this topic at its most basic level. You see, anger, it's part of the human experience. We all experience anger. Anger is actually a really normal human emotion. Expressing our anger can even be healthy, especially when we're angry at something that is unjust. The problem, though, is when we allow our anger to fester or when we let it take control of us in the heat of the moment. I don't just say this as a pastor. Many professionals also agree that unchecked anger has far-reaching consequences across many different aspects of our lives. Today, we know from doctors and psychologists the toll that anger can take on us. Uh, it can have an effect on our hearts. Uh, Dr. Winston, uh, a cardiologist, once said, rage can have effects on the arteries that supply blood uh, on the heart. It can affect, uh, it can have an effect on the electrical system specifically that tells the heart when to beat. And it can have an effect specifically on uh, the heart muscle itself. So if you're living with conditions that affect your cardiovascular system, such as high blood pressure, abnormal heart rhythms, or high cholesterol, moments of extreme anger can leave you vulnerable to a sudden heart attack. Yes, unchecked anger can affect our hearts. Unchecked anger can also affect our brains. 
Dr. Uh, Royce Lee, a professor of psychiatry and behavioral neuroscience at U the University of Chicago says this, in, agitate, uh, in an agitated state, we are less likely to make good judgments, list, uh, to listen for the certain information and to be attuned to other motivations that are important. Our brains uh, overly narrow their focus when we're angry. And we can miss so much important information. When we are angry and we're raging out, we tend to just get tunnel vision. And it can cause our brains to kind of short circuit. Finally, unchecked anger can affect our gut. You might have heard about the brain-gut connection, the much-discussed link between our emotions and our stomach. Like other feelings, anger and rage can trigger gastrointestinal discomfort. Uh, and could cause us to lose our appetite as well. Because there's electrical, neuro, there's electrical things going on with our stomach. And when we are angry, it can cause our stomach to be overly active or our intestinal tract to be less active. Therefore, we lose appetite. We stop eating or we just have an irritable bowel. All of this is the result of anger. So yes, it's important that we talk about anger, and it's no wonder that Jesus took the topic of anger so seriously. So we've heard what culture says and thinks about anger. We've heard what modern-day doctors and psychologists say and think about anger. Let's read for ourselves the words of Jesus in Scripture and what he has to say about anger and how we can apply some of these principles to our lives. Matthew chapter 5 verses 21 through 26 says this. You've heard, uh, excuse me, you have heard that our ancestors were told you must not murder. If you commit murder, you're subject to judgment. But I say, if you are even angry with someone, you are subject to judgment. If you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the courts. And if you curse someone, you are in danger of the fires of hell. So if you are presenting a sacrifice at the altar in the temple and you suddenly remember someone has something against you, leave your sacrifice at the altar. Go and be reconciled to that person. Then come and offer your sacrifice to God. Now, this would have been shocking for the people, the hundreds of people sitting near Jesus, listening in real time on the side of this mountain. Jesus was saying this during a time when the people of Israel had every right to be outraged and angry and feed that anger. Some of the reasons were this. The nation of Israel was a shell of its former glory over the last 500 years. The Roman Empire had expanded and exercise complete control of the entire nation of Israel at this point in history. Rome was giving heavy taxes to the people to help fund their massive empire and their ever-expanding campaigns to conquer the world. Roman soldiers would often take advantage of non-Roman citizens like the Israelites, forcing them to do things against their will. To top it all off, it had been over 500 years since the people of Israel believed God had spoken to them. 
Jesus starts off this message with this quote that says, you've heard it said, do not kill. But I say, don't be angry with someone. This, this catches the people off guard. Why would Jesus make such a huge leap from killing people to talking about being angry? Well, the answer is simple, really. If you think about it, anger is a stepping stone to killing. You know, believe me, if we just look at our own city, uh, Kansas City, in the year 2023, it had its deadliest year on the city's record. Over 182 people were killed last year in Kansas City. And you might think, oh, well, you know, there's lots of random acts of violence, drive-by shootings, this and that. I looked through the data, and believe it or not, 80% of all of these killings were domestic in nature. That means that the people involved in it knew each other. Husbands and wives, children and parents, neighbors, people usually working together, living together, doing life together. That doesn't just happen out of nowhere. There was a spark of anger that spiraled out of control and led to these events. As I was studying this passage and realizing the powerful impact that it could actually have on your life and my life, a couple of things stood out to me from this passage that I just want to hone in on for just a few minutes before we start applying it to our lives. Number one, don't hold on to anger. I think there is a difference between a brief emotion and something we're holding on to and feeding. I don't believe Jesus here is talking about the fact that if someone offends you or harms you on purpose or even by mistake, that it's sinful to feel the emotion of anger. I don't think that's what he's talking about here. Uh, Jesus himself, throughout the Gospels, felt anger while on earth. God the Father expressed his anger against the Israelites' disobedience. So the emotion of anger can't in and of itself be sinful. I believe what Jesus was talking about here is when we are offended and hurt, and we dwell on it, we, we, we keep it, we feed it, we talk about it, we nurse it. We could let it go and move on, but instead we choose to hold on to it. We meditate on it, we think about it day after day. We put it in that jar and stick it away for another time and place so that we can look at it a couple days later. Or the next time we see that individual that wronged us, we can pull that jar back out and show them, hey, remember how you messed up? We're subject to judgment, Jesus says, when we hold on to that anger. Because when we hold on to anger, it affects us emotionally, mentally, health-wise, spiritually, and it affects them as well. That's not how Jesus wants us to live. The second thing I notice is that Jesus cares a lot about us not devaluing another person's humanity by calling them names. Uh, he says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the courts. This is like the very first step in letting your anger manifest, right? Like if you get angry and then you start to harbor it, you start to hold on to it, a lot of times, one of the first 
reactions, one of the first expressions of our anger, which can then turn sinful, is by name-calling. When we resort to calling someone an idiot, Jesus says, if you call someone an idiot, you're in danger of being brought before the courts. How many times have people called each other names while driving? How many times have we devalued someone when they aren't around by referring to them as something less than, by calling them this or that? I'll be the first person to raise my hand and say that I've been petty in those ways. Yes, Jesus is raising the bar here. This is Jesus being unfiltered in his expectation of what a life with him could look like. I don't want to live a life where I'm holding my anger in a jar and calling people bad names. The third thing that pops out to me from this passage is if you curse or slur someone, you're in danger of something far worse. Now, uh, Jesus says, if you curse someone, you're in danger of the fires of hell. Well, in today's society, we don't curse people. We're, I'm not casting spells and witchcraft and all that stuff. But if you look at the original Greek and you kind of extrapolate, well, what does it mean to curse someone? It means to wish harm upon them. It means you're, you're, you're wishing derogatory things upon them. You're, you're slurring them. You're slurring their life. You're, you're using slur words. If you're using dehumanizing language towards someone else and it is intended to rile them up or place yourself above them, Jesus says that is so serious. I think of racial slurs, slurring people with disabilities, uh, reputational slurs where you're trying to assassinate someone's character uh, for no good reason. No, any reason at all isn't right to assassinate someone's character. While we might not wish curses upon people today, we sure know how to poke at someone in the most hurtful ways possible. Jesus says, nah, nah, that's not how I want us to live. As he's talking to this people who find themselves occupied by Rome, who find themselves under the oppression of the Roman soldiers, taxed to no end, Jesus is saying, do not be angry. Don't hold it. Don't harbor it. He says the same to us today. The fourth thing that Jesus says is this. And this is probably one of the hardest ones. Jesus says our goal should be to reconcile. Not only does he tell us to control our anger, but he says if there's a broken relationship when you're trying to worship, stop. Go be reconciled to that person, if at all possible, and then return to worship. Jesus does not want a bunch of broken relationships all throughout our life. Now, Quick disclaimer, I want to say this when it comes to reconciliation. Reconciliation doesn't always mean relational restoration. Let me say it again. Reconciliation doesn't always mean relational restoration. Sometimes you may genuinely want to reconcile, but it would not be safe to do so. Or perhaps you need to keep certain boundaries in place. If you're unsure about what to do in a particular situation, I would highly encourage you to seek wisdom from people wiser and more mature than you. Notice I didn't say older. 
because age is not necessarily a guarantee of maturity. Seek people that you see are wise to help you navigate whether a particular relationship can be restored versus just reconciled, if that makes sense. In 2024, Jesus is calling us to live different. He's calling us to display his lifestyle in a world that is constantly raging about something new every single day. So practically, how do we do this? I'm going to give you real quick four different things that you can potentially do. Now, I know that we might not be able to do all four of these things. In fact, asking you to do all four, you might feel overwhelmed and just toss the whole thing aside. So I'm going to ask you just to pick one thing, one of these four that you're going to focus on this week. If you want to do all four, knock yourself out. That's awesome. But if you want to focus on just one, I know God would be pleased with that. Number one, uh, make sure you know what makes you angry. Some of us are triggered by certain things more than others. For example, for me, uh, disrespect is a big trigger for me. When I feel like I'm being disrespected or people aren't respecting what I'm saying or listening to me or respecting my time, that's a trigger for me. Because I know that's a trigger for me, when I feel that coming on or I notice that happening, I can, I can control myself just a little bit more because I know that's a trigger. Uh, racial slurs are a trigger for me as a black man. Uh, who would have thought there are certain words or phrases that people can hurl my way that, yes, that can rile me up. But because I know that about myself, I tend to remove myself from the situation instead of trying to engage more and more. Uh, I have a host of other triggers that make me angry, but what makes you angry? If you know them, you'll be able to do a better job at uh, mitigating them when they happen. The second thing is this, control your words. Ephesians chapter four, verses 31 says this, get rid of all bitterness, rage, anger, harsh words, and slander, as well as all types of evil behavior. Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 9 says it like this, control your temper for anger labels you a fool. It is so important for us to control the words that come out of our mouths. We control the things that we say. No matter what anyone does to us, it's not an excuse to let anything, just anything fly out of our mouths. We are in control of what we say that can really help to de-escalate situations. Number three, establish healthy boundaries. Uh, You know, you can't, like I said earlier, you can't always be in good relationship with people, especially if they are genuinely narcissistic, deceptive, unhealthy, and manipulative. With those people, you can forgive, but be sure to set some boundaries so that whatever the situation, what happened before, it doesn't happen again. I love Proverbs chapter 22, verses 24 through 25. It says this, Don't befriend angry people or associate with hot-tempered people. You will learn to be like them and endanger your soul. Guys, I can't tell you how many times of almost 20 years 
I did student ministry and I would see these kids picking with each other and I'd see students, you know, pairing up with people that just weren't good for them. And I would tell certain students again and again and again, hey guys, you pick your friends. You pick who you're around. Oh no, but they're in my class. You choose to engage with them. Oh, well, they're at my job and, or it's my boss. And like, I don't care. All of us have a choice how much we want to engage with certain groups of people and how much we want to pull away from them. It is our choice. The more you engage with people who uh, rile you up, man, the more your own soul is going to be in danger, as the proverb says. The last one is this. Learn to slow your anger. Proverbs chapter 14, verse 29 says, people with understanding control their anger. A hot temper shows great foolishness. James chapter one, verses 19 through 20 says this. My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, slow to become angry because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. We gotta, we gotta be slow to get angry. We've gotta control ourselves. How? We, we've gotta give people the benefit of the doubt. Sometimes we just have to assume the best. Can you imagine if we put into practice what Jesus said just about anger on the Sermon on the Mount. When we might limit the type of news that we consume. We might limit the amount of influence certain politicians, government officials have in our minds. We might limit how much road rage we get when we're out on the road and someone cuts us off. We might limit how angry we get with our own kids because we're applying what Jesus said to our lives. Psalm 145, one of my favorite Psalms in all of scripture, says this about our God. The Lord is merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love. Friends, my prayer for you in 2024 is that you embody this verse, that you will be merciful and compassionate, slow to get angry and filled with unfailing love as you march into 2024. Let's pray.